1: For many, the holiday season is a time of giving when people think a bit more about those with less or those affected by the impact of war or other calamities. But those problems and the philanthropic urge to do something about them is far bigger than something the Scrooge in Dickens' A Christmas Carol is finally moved to do on Christmas morning. Globally, private philanthropy is big and growing. Nonprofit foundation assets around the world have been estimated to exceed $1.5 trillion, and those NGOs spend more than $150 billion annually. Giving Tuesday alone is now a worldwide phenomenon that raised more than $3 billion last month. Unfortunately, of course, the problems are even bigger, but still, that's a lot of money. My guest today is Michael Thatcher, president of Charity Navigator, a U.S.-based NGO that assesses and rates something on the order of 200,000 American nonprofits aiming to provide objective criteria to guide giving. Welcome, Michael, to New Thinking for a New World. Alan, thank you for having me. Michael, let's start with the arc from Scrooge to today. Dickens wrote his classic in 1843. Giving Tuesday was founded 10 years ago. More than 200 billionaires around the world have now signed the Giving Pledge. The impulse to help others with financial support is obviously deeply felt, but is it effective? Or rather, what can be done to help donors and charities be more effective, which I assume is what Charity Navigator is fundamentally all about?
2: That's correct. If if you think about it, Charity Navigator, we're also we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. And 20 years ago, our founder, Pat Dugan and his wife, Marion, they came into significant wealth. They started giving back. And then they realized there was no way to actually differentiate between the what seemed like a lot of charities back then. There are about 1.6 million in the U.S. today. I'm guessing it was less than half that 20 years ago when, when we started. And ultimately, what we're trying to do is bring transparency and in a simple and an accessible way to the average American donor. So our core audience is... Everybody in the everybody and anybody, and it's not necessarily high net worth individuals. And we see a tremendous amount of uptake in people really wanting to get information and do better with the gifts that they make.
1: You mentioned the word transparency, which was going to be my next question, in fact. It's as though we practice this. You have a background in tech, you were at Microsoft for years. Um, and I assume that's where your belief that transparency can indeed transform uh, transactions.
2: Being able to see what's going on and measure it really makes a difference. The work I did at Microsoft taught me about leverage. Charity Navigator is a terrific point of leverage because it enables me as, a, as an individual to affect uh, giving in a positive way across a multitude of different areas that I really care deeply about. And so the transparency of the way it works in um, in our ratings is that we're actually getting that information from the charities and then making it available in a normalized and kind of a standardized fashion for the individual donors.
1: And are you confident that the transparency, which is based on the information they're providing you, that transparency is really happening?
2: It is happening in a couple of ways. One is we have, um, in the United States, we're working from the tax forms from the individual charities. So we get that data. It's been processed by the IRS, and that's how we get that information. The additional data points we're collecting are also coming through either other organizations that collect this information. This is GuideStar by Candid, and we're also working with uh, directly with the charities and getting their data um, that they submit to us. So it is working. It's also information that they publish on their websites. And so the, um, that's, that's how we're doing the validation at this point.
1: Without naming names, have there been examples in these 20 years or since you've been there, perhaps, um, where you discover that a charity, a foundation uh, isn't what they say they are and really ought not to be recipient of, of, of public art jazz?
2: very definitely and uh, one of the things we created a little over 10 years ago was our alert system or we were you know at the time they were called donor advisories and we had a watch list and so for example if you lie to us or you lie to the IRS that's that's, that's not <laughs> that's not okay we issue an alert and these alerts are really they they hurt because if you're if you have a high level alert on your on your organization many times will strike your rating because we no longer have confidence in the information that's been supplied to us. The other, how we do that, the alerts are also, let's say maybe the better way to put it is bad things happen in real time. Our ratings get updated on an, on an annual basis. So the alert, the team that's running the alerts, they're working on a weekly cycle where they're, they're receiving news feeds they're scanning through news. They're also getting information from the attorney general's offices in the various states in the country. And we will, we're will. we also trying to be fair with this. So, for example, if you're accused of wrongdoing, that doesn't mean you did it. But donors may want to know that you've been accused of something. And so that would be more of a low-level alert. But if it's confirmed wrongdoing where you've actually been... Um, you know, their consequences either coming from the IRS or the state attorney general in, in whatever state you're working in. That is something that we, we take quite seriously. So, but it's worth noting that we have ratings on about 200,000 charities. On average, there are about 400 alerts that you can find on our site. And, and again, those alerts go for rated and unrated organizations, which means out of the 1.6 million charities that are actually also on the database, there's only 400, which shows you that it's, it's not that much. It's, in fact, it's insignificant. Let me go down a rabbit hole. A lot of organizations,
1: a lot of charitable organizations and NGOs in the United States are, if not permanent, have a long track record. I'm thinking UNICEF, I'm thinking uh, Red Cross, the, the, the big ones, but also small ones. Nonetheless, a lot of the more visible requests for aid are accident, not accidental, transactional, if you will. A hurricane mm-hmm. hits, a war starts, a disease pops up, and suddenly there are mostly, I suspect, quite positive responses of people saying, you need to raise money for this, you need to raise money for that. Uh, I assume, and they don't file taxes because they're brand new. They, there's, no, there's no track record. How does an organization like yours track what I would call charity pop-ups?
2: We um, the short answer is we don't, um, and it's an area. It's funny. This came up. This came up with um, recently this year, actually, with the Ukraine. And there's an organization that is a highly rated uh, nonprofit. This is. Um, Team Rubicon. And their founder, one of their co-founders, left Team Rubicon and, and started a new organization called Operation White Stork. And he reached out to me and said, hey, you know, the paint's not even dry yet. We just formed this new organization. What we're doing are we're evacuating women and children, and we're giving uh, field dressing kits to uh, Ukrainian soldiers. We're trying to get, we're trying to raise awareness. The, the problem for Charity Navigator is there's no track record. So go back to the transparency piece. We don't actually have enough information to issue a rating on a startup organization. What we're, we're looking at, and this is an area that you know fascinates me because I know, I know Will McNutley. He does good work. He did great work with Team Rubicon. And so it, it, it hurts not to be able to provide a rating. But at the end of the day, we really don't have any information to, to do an assessment. We could create an area like um, you know, startup organizations, new charities. A big effort at Charity Navigator over the last few years has been to open up our database to a significantly larger number of organizations, particularly smaller and younger. But we're still looking for at least three years' worth of data uh, before we can issue a rating, because that, that way we can start seeing trends. Until we have the trends, it's hard for us to see what's going on. Um, the other thing I do want to say about disaster, um, disaster giving or crisis giving, is we take um, we take that pretty seriously because it's it's also an area where Charity Navigator is of terrific value. If you think about it, you may you may care about the environment, but when there's a humanitarian issue, you may not necessarily have done any research on this. It happens fast. You want to do something about it quickly. We put together lists of highly rated organizations that are making a commitment that what the money we, you give to them is actually going to go to that specific crisis and clean up uh, recovery, what, whatever, whatever it is. We don't do the startup organizations, though. Initiatives like yours are predicated in part
1: on the idea that philanthropy ought to be and can be democratized. How does Charity Navigator do that?
2: Well, if if you think about it, up until we existed, the average American's ability to get good information on a, on charitable performance really wasn't there. And so, I'd say, you know, at least for me, anyway, democratizing philanthropy is about putting as much information into people's hands as you can, so that they can make smart choices. It's also one of the things I've observed in the U.S. is that a lot of um, there's a lot of fear of uh, my money is going to be misused or that, you know, I'm going to get ripped off to kind of put it in simpler terms. That isn't the case, but information and again, go back. This goes back to transparency. If I can show you how an organization is making an impact in the world, managing their people, spending your money that will that had that has helped. The other thing that we do is we don't charge the donor and we don't charge the charity. So if you are say a high net worth individual, you might have staff or you might contract out the work of doing that research for you. We're trying to take that cost out, make as much information as we can available to anybody. So the the way I like to think about it is, I don't care if you have $5 million or $5, I'm gonna help you find a good organization to give, give your money to. So how do you fund Charity Navigator? We are, um, so historically, I'll give you the quick history on that. We started as a private foundation. So our founders supplied all of our needs for the first eight, eight to 10 years. And then for the last 10 years, we have been a 501c3 charity ourselves. Over 60% of our revenue comes from individual donors, with the average donation being $45. Which goes back to the democratization point. Because of that funding model that we we need to reach a lot of people, and we exist to reach a lot of people. So that's kind of the, um, that's worked for us. We do get um, some sizable foundation grants here and there, and that has allowed us, for example, if you've noticed, we have a, a very, um, you know, we've just refreshed the brand and we have a new website that's just gone live. That was made available to us through a significant grant we received in uh, 2021.
0: If you feel that the world lacks global leaders, please help support the Talberg Foundation programs. Individual donations are being accepted at talbergfoundation.org slash donate. That's. T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G-foundation.org slash donate.
1: The Telberg Foundation is global and philanthropy is global. I saw a recent Harvard Kennedy School report that said, much to my surprise, 40% of NGO foundations, at least that they could identify, are non-American. And those foundations have something on the order of $600 billion in assets. Uh, As I said, that surprised me because I know when I try to raise funding for the Tilburg Foundation, uh, the notion that I often get back is, no, philanthropy at scale is an American phenomenon Uh, because of the IRS treatment of charity. uh, You get a tax donation for it. That's why you give. How important do you think that really is to explaining American generosity?
2: It's a tough question. I mean, if you think about it, the U.S. tax code has been, you know, the charitable tax code went into effect in, I believe it was 1917. I mean, it's a, it's over 100 years old. That um, generosity, that helped us institutionalize uh, philanthropy and also created a vibrant charitable sector. The fact that we're able to track it the way we do and where I think that of recent numbers in 2021, it was I think it was $480 billion went into the sector last year in just in the United States. I don't know that we have the ability to track it quite the same way in other countries because we don't have that transparency in the, um, and the other element of this, which is part of the U.S. tax code is a charity's tax filing is a public document. And that, that has allowed, that's allowed us to exist, for example, it's also allowed us to scale, uh, given the dig- digitization of information. I've lived in I've lived in other countries, and I've always seen generosity. I think generosity and philanthropy is human. That's something we do. We care for each other. It's also part of most uh, of most organized religions have an element of giving back in them. I. I'm not giving you a good answer to your question about American uh, generosity, but it's something that um, I don't know. It's, it, it's human. It's human. And I, and I would argue that it's, it's everywhere. We've just made it more of a, of an institution. Well, that leads to the
1: obvious next question, which is the challenges of transparency of making philanthropy more democratic uh, exist everywhere. And do you think stepping back from the day-to-day at Charity Navigator do you think the kind of work you're doing has global legs might have global legs
2: um I want it to <laughs> I um I took this job while I was living in Singapore and uh did a tremendous amount of work on international standards when I was at at Microsoft and so my immediate my goal when I when I came came to Charity Navigator 7 years ago was Let's, let's get this right in the United States and then go international with it. I do have almost um, quarterly phone calls or email exchanges with folks in other parts of the world asking to, can we think of setting up a charity navigator in, in this country or in that country? There's tremendous interest. We, the challenge is actually, um, it's the appetite for transparency within the charitable sector And sometimes it's the um, it's the structures of um, government structures that may or may not be as uh, conducive to it. I I do know that there's um, we have a tremendous number of international charities that we do rate because they have a strong presence in the United States. So there's that is one one area. But having set up, we have not we have yet to set up a charity navigator. In another country, and I and I do see that happening. Well,
1: your Microsoft background and your international background, your global background—Singapore is an example. You know the difference in in data sets. and clearly, as you've already said, having the IRS peering over uh, foundation shoulders has been has made what you do, as you said, possible. So, as you think about the rest of the world, you'd have to find different. It, it, probably would have to be a different model somehow, don't
2: you think? Yes and no, because one of the things that's happened, it's happened at Charity Navigator, and I think it's happening everywhere, is we're moving away from just looking at where money gets spent and trying to determine what actually gets accomplished with that money. So, you know, to put it in simpler terms, we're trying to evaluate impact of the organizations. That has a financial component to it, but that's not everything. And when you're doing an assessment of impact on an organization that's preserving eyesight, let's say, the financials matter and we care about sort of cost per outcome. But eyesight, you know, measuring how many, how many people have, you know, retained their eyesight or have regained their eyesight, um, that's the interesting point of measurement. We're collecting that data. What, what I think is going to be harder in other countries is potentially audit or validation of the information we collect and our ability to do that effectively.
1: Question. You just talked about, in effect, both efficiency and impact. And as someone who has run a number of nonprofits so far in my career, um, that's one of the great debates inside any nonprofit. Um, Are you in business business? trying to be as efficient as you possibly can, or are you trying to be as impactful as you possibly can? And how do you measure it? And measuring impact, it, it is one thing perhaps in the example you used of an organization that's delivering, make it even easier. Glasses to people who don't have glasses in somewhere. That one's easy. That, 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 that's count the number of glasses. Um, but as you think about impact across the broad array of foundations with which you deal mostly in the United States, how do, how do you think about impact?
2: The way we're thinking about impact today is very much um, in a cost per outcome uh, manner. So we'll we'll take we'll take a known intervention, which is documented, has good academic um, sort of support and literature on it, and then we'll out of out of that we'll determine an average cost. We'll then bring in organizations that are actually focused on that particular outcome and then we'll factor out the differences between them and establish a cost per outcome per a specific, what we call program service area. So cataract surgery is one, um, say scholarships could be another. We do this it's we're doing this one at a time. We're increasing the number of program service areas that we're able to actually do a what's essentially a, it's just a, it's not an it's not an impact assessment. It's a cost per outcome of a known impactful um, intervention. And it's today we're only doing this within direct service areas. We're not, you know, take something like advocacy. Your cost for outcome is going to be a little bit tricky on that. And so we we don't have an answer for that today We're you know, this is why um, this is kind of an endless job because we have to keep figuring out new ways of, you know, and broadening what we cover with what we with what we're doing. And the
1: goal in all cases is, again, to provide donors and probably other foundations as well with more information than they had before you came to the table?
2: Absolutely. And I think, and go back to sort of the young startup organizations where our desire would be that the ratings are also kind of guidance for the young up and coming charities that are figuring out how to, how to get going and things to aim for right what's a, what's a good structure for my organization financially how do i you know things simple things that maybe we might take for granted like having a having a logic model and you know sort of a theory of a theory of change in what you're doing and how you're doing it small organizations may may or may not actually have that
1: again because i tend to think about things in their global context i would think what you just said is doubly true outside the United States, in the sense that um, in most of these sectors, the not-profit sectors or sectors where not-profits are active, uh, there aren't objective criteria against which you can compare yourself. And to some extent, that's one of the directions you're headed in. What does it cost? What ought it to cost to produce X outcome uh, in this context? Are you seeing interest to to people outside the United States, NGOs outside the United States, understand and access that information for that purpose? Or is that, again, something that can happen more in the future as you continue to grow?
2: I would say they do, but it also would be, you know, it's clearly... It's a sign of maturity when you've actually sort of you've been around for a little while, you start figuring things out and you and you evolve in a more effective way or you perish. I think in in many cases there is there is a you know, the um, the market does work that way. You've got to you've got to be able to um, produce results. Let me go back to a contextual
1: question. A Dutch friend of mine recently, he argued that the growth in philanthropy is a reflection of the failure of government. Now, that struck me as sort of harsh, uh, but possible. And I, I was curious, you, you have lived for these last seven years in this philanthropy world. Yep. Well beyond what you do for for Charging Navigator. Um, you understand philanthropy because that's
2: your sector. Um, is, that, is my Dutch friend being too harsh? I would say I would add an element to it. It's I think it's, um, it's a combination of, I see the nonprofit sector really filling the gap between government and private sector. So either you can't make money on it or the government hasn't actually figured out a way to deal with it. And then people step up to fill that gap through the, through the charities and nonprofits that are out there in the world. So I, I'm, I don't disagree with your friend. I think it is a little harsh. I think it, there there are areas where the government could clearly be stepping in or, or stepping up, but the, um, The other thing that you'll find is that oftentimes the nonprofit sector is delivering on a government mandate. Going back to the Dutchman, um, that is part of this
1: view that governments in Europe in particular do things that our government in the United States does not do. So therefore, we need a charitable sector to fill in the gap. and, And that's a sort of simple model that I'm not sure is as true as it is in caricature, but but I suspect that that is the perception in, in a lot of the world, that it, it is the absence of an American social safety net that is effective, that creates this massive demand for NGOs. Um, and it's one of those things with a little bit of truth, but maybe not as
2: much as the caricature. I could see the argument saying that because we're not as socialist in our uh, political structures, we have a vibrant nonprofit sector that's actually filling the gap. Um, I, I could totally see how you could take that argument. I, I, I think it'd be interesting to see, and I don't know this number, how many, how many nonprofits exist in, in Holland, for example, because I'm sure that I know they exist. Last question, looking forward, where would you like this initiative to be,
1: say, 10 years from now?
2: 10 years from now, I would love to see us have um, sort of a simpler and intuitive system that actually had global coverage. I really would like to see us um, help you find an organization anywhere in the world that was doing 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 what you were looking to do and um, and then be able to differentiate between the different choices there. So it's about taking our ratings, expanding the ratings. Right now, the ratings are looking at Sort of impact and results, leadership and adaptability, culture and community, and then accountability and finance. Those are it, they're not they're not equally populated. All four of those areas that I've described. So I'd like to see that more complete information, and then broader coverage, including international. So and and not to not to
1: trivialize anything. Going back to Dickens, whoever's going to write the next iteration of a Christmas Carol. When Scrooge wakes up the next morning, he gets on his computer and he goes to Charity Navigator UK and discovers what he can do for Tiny Tim. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you, Michael, for what you're doing. Thank you for the Charity Navigator work. And thank you for this conversation. Thank you, Alan. My pleasure.
0: Thank you for joining us. Please rate our show on Apple Podcast and subscribe. Meanwhile, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram or you can subscribe to our newsletter at talbergfoundation.org to learn more about our work. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org. Thank you, and we'll be back again next week for another episode of Talberg's New Thinking for a New World. This podcast was brought to you through the generous support of SNF, the Stavros Niarchos Foundation.